0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Well, hello and welcome everyone to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy group Based uh, company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world, and we couldn't do what we're doing without you. I want you to know how important your likes and shares and tweets are with the information that we we push out to you. Taking that you know couple of seconds to share with your circle of friends. Um, you know your tribes out there is critically important. This is a topic that so many people are uncomfortable talking about and the more information we can get out there the easier it's going to be for them to to join the conversation and get get the support they so rightly deserve. There are a lot of resources out there that people just don 't know about, and we need to help them uh we need to we need to help connect the dots and that 's really why alzheimer 's speaks was developed. You see, my mom had dementia for thirty years, so i totally I totally get this run um, it's not an easy thing uh, for any of us to deal with uh and over half of my life, i found um, I, I was kind of shocked that there were so many things out there in terms of resources, but nobody really knew they were there. And so Alzheimer's Speaks was created to lift everyone's voice and get a, getting us together um, on the same page to share knowledge. I'm a firm believe believer that knowledge is absolutely critical, what works, what doesn't work, and again, having the conversation. And so through Alzheimer's Speaks, the radio show is one of our platforms that we do every Tuesday from uh, 10 to noon uh, central time. That might be a little different where you are. Um, but all of our shows are recorded, so you can listen to them anytime. You can push them out and share them with your friends. Um, and today's show, we're going to focus the first hour on open mic. So I encourage you to call in to have a conversation on whatever topic is, is uh is passionate to you. What questions do you have? I'm not saying I'm going to have all the answers. Uh, none of us do, but let's, let's have the conversation. Uh, I do want to mention a couple other resources that we have. We also do Dementia Chats, which is a webinar platform that engages conversation. On Dementia Chats, um, our experts are people who actually have the disease, um, again, another thing I was so frustrated with, why are we guessing at what it's like to have dementia when we have this rich resource right in front of us? So our experts will answer your questions the best they can. Um, they don't always agree, um, which is like life in, in general. Not everything is going to work for everybody all the time. There is no silver bullet to this disease. So please keep that in mind. Um, We do dementia chats on the 2nd and the 4th Tuesday of the month at uh, in the afternoon you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and just find information on our about page um, regarding that. We also have a resource directory which is a two-way resource directory which is something very different but I, again I wanted to build something collaborative and so what we have is something that you can search but something that you can also input your information so if you are a Thank you business um, or have some type of service or product or tool that you feel is helpful for others, you can become a member of Alzheimer's Speaks that gives you access then uh, to input your information into the directory. In addition, if you run across a book or maybe a video or a conference that you want to share with others, you can also put that information in. Um, Alzheimer's Speaks isn't about ownership. It's about collaboration. Um, What else can I tell you? The Purple Angel Project, um, very dear to my heart. Um, You know, that is the new global symbol for dementia. You can get information on our website there. We're actually doing some updates uh for that. So in the next probably two weeks you'll see a, a relaunch of the of the Purple Angel which will give us a lot more information. Um for the U.S. here. We're going to kind of be the launching pad uh, for that because it's just gotten so big. Uh, Poor Norms and Jane, who started this, have done just a magnificent job, can't handle, quite can't handle it all. Uh, So there's a team of us here that will be working with people in the U.S. to help get that launched. There's also information on the Memory Cafe concept, uh, another concept which came from the U.K., which was beautifully gifted to us. So um, lots of information that we have that we always love to share with our audience. So if you haven't checked us out, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Before I open the mic, and I see we've got a couple people on the line already, so I want to say thank you and uh, just hang tight. I will get with you here shortly. Um, I also like to mention Alzheimer's Disease International. People are always wondering where's the closest Alzheimer's Association for me? Where can I find some resources and and support groups? And the Alzheimer's Association is, is one great mode for that. Um The Alzheimer's Disease International will give you not only um, all the locations around the world so you can find out what's closest to you, but you will also be able to find um, global information and data uh, that is so critical for all of us as well. So just to keep that in mind. Um the Alzheimer's studies group still has a couple of studies open the tau trial in its third trial and then they have a new one for the frontal temporal lobe uh dementia The Lewy Body Association and the Frontal Temporal Lobe and the National Aphasia Association are really important organizations because they give us specific information for different types of dementia. You know, Alzheimer's isn't the only dementia out there, and so we have to be very aware of that and understand that as well. Um, And then, of course, we've got music first with choral health, which is your prescription to music that can help change moods. Puzzle with me with Jane Snyder, whose uh, mother had dementia, and she decided to uh, pull together a a puzzle that was more age-appropriate. It also is much easier to handle for older adults. Um, and um, very durable smaller pieces so lots and lots of uh, of good good things there um, with puzzle with me I, I saw on the website it looks like there's a couple of new puzzles that have rolled out so if you're not familiar with that that's something that you may also want to check into as well and then Jiminy Wicket with Jim Creasy uh, his dad had dementia um, adapted the game of croquet to make it easier for people with dementia to still engage, and um, I've had an opportunity to play that game. Our our um, own memory cafe, Arthur's Memory Cafe, um, has played that. We've got an Ice Cream Social coming up. I'm sure we'll be playing that again. Very fun, but James goes into school systems and matches them up. Uh, with memory care units so they play one-on-one. It's a great educational tool um, as well as a lot, a lot of fun. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pull in our first caller here. I've got somebody from a uh, 215 number. 215, you're live and on the air. Do you want to state your name?
2: Michael Ellenbogen.
1: Well, hello, Mr. Michael. How the heck are you doing today?
2: Doing good, Lori. How about yourself?
1: I am doing fantastic. I just came back from a trip down in Georgia where I was at the Alzheimer's Music Fest um, down in Marietta, Georgia. I was able to stay with some friends and had some great meetings with people, so I'm, I'm kind of coming off a big high, so very, very fun. But not as high as what I hear you are. Why don't you tell people what you just did?
2: Well, as uh you know I have been preaching I guess uh the last uh couple years that you know uh, all because you have dementia doesn't mean you can't live life to the fullest and I encourage that and uh this past weekend uh I actually uh kind of got pushed out of an airplane at 12,500 feet. <laughs> and uh it it was exciting. I I have to tell you. Uh You know, uh, one thing about dementia is, you know, I used to be able to get on my roof and take care of everything. In the last, I guess, four years, five years, I've become afraid of heights. Uh, You know, in fact, a couple years ago, I almost had to be taken off the roof by the fire department because I think it was the fear itself that got me down or the embarrassment of thinking that they were going to have to uh, have the fire department out, so... I was really uh, kind of concerned about going up in the plane and uh, doing a parachute jump, but I figured, hey, once I step out of there, there's no turning back. So I went went and did this, and I got to tell you, I loved it. I would love to do it again. I mean, it was so great and uh, such a fabulous view and so quiet up there, and oh, I, I just can't say enough about it. You know, uh, as I you seen, I had shared the video with you, and uh, it, it, you know, my, my wife in fact did want to do this, but I think towards the very end of the day, because we actually had to wait for nine hours there because uh, the weather was not cooperating with us. It was too windy at first, uh, but I think by the end of the day, she actually would have probably done it herself if she, we had 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 her scheduled for it.
1: Uh huh. I have had more friends jump out of a plane. Now, we for, for those listeners who are, don't know Michael, Michael has been living with dementia for... How long have you been living with dementia, Michael? You know, it's been several I, years.
2: Well, actually diagnosed in 2008, uh, so since 2008.
1: Okay, okay. But you were having... You were having uh, symptoms prior to that as well, so um, I, I just think that that's absolutely fantastic that you that you were brave enough to kind of overcome a fear and um, and do it, and then found it just exhilarating. So. Um, kudos to you for checking it off your bucket list. I, I haven't it's on mine but I haven't done it yet. But boy, I like I said, I have friends just jumping out of planes right and left and I'm seeing these these videos and they are just saying how exhilarating it is um and how free it feels. So it's it's getting pushed up there in my <laughs> in my numbers um to do. I'm gonna have to join the club I think here pretty soon. So oh, you definitely is, have to do it. That is wonderful. Now, along with jumping out of planes, you, um, you, you jumped into NAPA, which is our national Alzheimer's you know, plan, and uh, you, you spoke before that team here just recently, and uh, actually not just you, but you and your wife. Um and I have to say you know kudos to you you were extremely brave in the comments that you made because you were brutally honest which which I'm sure not everyone appreciated but you know we can't you know we can't be we can't be doing this political dance it doesn't get us anywhere anymore somebody's got to cut to the chase and so I really appreciate you taking that step and and saying you know, what you felt was needed. Um, do you want to share with people a little bit about, about your speech?
2: Sure. I, I don't have it in front of me or anything like that, I, and I don't know if you want to play that. But uh, uh, basically, you know, i I, I got to tell you, I, I found it very frustrating because, you know, one of the things that I do before I normally give my speech, I actually have friends who are actually on the NAPA committee, and uh, I usually share it with at least you know my friends there to get their feedback before i do it you know and i knew it was going to be strong Lori, and uh you know i i even asked them i said should i tone it down a bit and i was encouraged not to uh in fact uh they they said you know it it, it needs to be heard uh yep. you know and while while they agreed you know ahead of time that you know it, it you know and they kind of were kind of upset about it in itself but they felt that it deserved to be heard because it it was facts uh so i i got and i also shared it with you know one or two other people who were close to me and uh they also agreed so i got to tell you it took me by excuse me <coughs> it took me by surprise when i guess the people on the committee after you know it was read um expressed you know, some some of the folks were kind of upset about it. You know that I guess, you know, my, my comments they some of them felt you know, it, you know wasn't deserved, uh, and mm-hmm. I cannot understand, to be honest with you, why they felt that way. Uh, you know, because in three years, you know, I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for those people, I really do, who are on the committee, and you know, but it's at the same time, you know, they took a poll out, I guess, about a month ago or two months ago and they asked people in the united states what they felt you know this disease was about what dementia was about and the majority of people i think was 59 percent said that it was just about memory loss so for a group who is responsible for the whole entire united states to making awareness i believe they have failed they literally have failed Because nobody, to be honest with you, even people in the arena of dementia, they rarely know what NAPA is even about. So right there they have failed. Two, they have failed to get people to understand what Alzheimer's is and what dementia is in the United States. So. I just don't understand how they feel that they've done all they can have done. And, you know, there there's many excuses that were thrown to me, like, well, the Alzheimer's Association is doing a good part of that. And I'm like, well, you know what? The Alzheimer's Association is in charge with this big task to educate the whole United States. They have been assigned of this task. And, yes, the Alzheimer's Association, while they're doing – a decent job they also have failed in my eyes to a certain point of getting all the message and it's not their responsibility to it all to do it all you know there, there's a dollar sum that comes along with this and this to me is something the federal government must take on and they must take it on with 100 percent wanting to do this you know and you know they give me a lot of excuses why they're incapable of doing it all and you know what I just can't deal with the excuses any longer. Not after three
1: years, you know. To me, and actually, it's been a heck of a lot longer than three years, you know, that they've been in existence. And and the thing is, um, you know, with this with this whole process, you're exactly right. Um, You know, we need to do things faster. We have to. We have to be more people centric and and understand the people's language, um, but I, I think we so often get tied into having the perfect plan and the perfect way, and anyone who's dealt with dementia or is dealing with dementia knows perfect does not exist. And if you're honest, it doesn't in your life before dementia either, but we have this Thing where everything has to be just right and it has to be so planned instead of just getting out there and starting. You look at what Norms has done with the Purple Angel Project. You know, one man with dementia in the UK saying, let's have a conversation. And that conversation has spread now around the world with its own symbol, um, you know, for dementia. So it's got a global grounding. Um, and and it's, he's done it with no budget. You know, it's there. There are ways to get this done that they. Uh, it, it seems like they refuse to look at um, because of it, everything has to be so controlled. And you know what? Disease isn't controlled. Um, you know, it 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 ebbs and it flows, and um, it attacks everybody. And there's not a protection against it. And so, you know, to me, the best protection is just start excuse my language, but start the damn conversation and, and, you know, get people talking about this. And from there, you know, you can build and align with people with passion instead of just those that are there because it's their job or they want the status, you know, of being attached to a big movement. Um, uh, and that's where I get really frustrated um I, I i like you i'm I'm tired of the excuses um there's just there's so many people doing so many things um but nobody knows about them because no one has the power to elevate them and you know little old me i mean that's what I'm trying to do um and i'm you know I'm putting a dent in things but you know it's 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 very it's it's difficult. You know, because we're battling big entities that that want to do it all, and none of us can do it all. You know, it really it really has to be shared um, shared insights, shared passions, shared skills. Um, I I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. And and part of it, Lori, I, I believe.
2: You know, you know, some of the excuses they gave me was that they didn't feel that they had the power to do a lot of this stuff. And they're they're so wrong. I mean, first of all, President Obama created this group because Mm -hmm. they wanted feedback on what to do in the United States. And yet they don't Uh believe in themselves that they have the power to do this. So that's part of the sad part, I think.
1: Yeah, we've got some comments here in the chat box. Um, First of all, Elvis says she turned in live to the meeting last Monday and um, she said, you, you were absolutely wonderful, and um, you did a great job. Both you and Sherry did a great job um, speaking. Um, but she also notes that, you know, it's just kind of that blah, 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 patting each other on the back, little action, lots of talking. Terry is saying the government and the pharmaceutical companies aren't in the business of cures. They're in the business of ongoing treatment, which is really, it, it, you know, appears – That way, and it's critical for people and associations to be innovators, groundbreakers. Um, You know, it just—we have to change the system. Our our system is extremely broken in my eyes, and um, you know, and that's—that's exactly how I started and why I started Alzheimer Speaks. People said you can't, you can't do it that way. You have to build one platform at a time. You have to make it successful. I said, I don't have time for that. It's not about money. You know, it's it's not about profit. Things have got to change. And granted, businesses have to make money. But I'm a firm believer that if, if we do the right thing and if we really have the people at the core, things will all work out. You look at the memory cafes, you know, and over in the U.K., I mean, they've got funding. You know, their government backs them. The um, Baptist Church allows them to be in the basements. Um, you know, they have a lot of staff and activities. Um, in the U.S., most of us aren't able to do that. The McFarlands have gotten a nice large grant in Wisconsin of doing fabulous things and very programmatic, and I, I applaud them. But most of us here in the U.S. are doing it on a shoestring budget. You know, we're getting people with passion pulled together, and we're changing lives. We're making a difference, and we're empowering people to live better. You know, it's it's not, and the groups are really about what the people need, not what we as facilitators decide they should need. You know, we're most of them are very flexible in terms of making sure they're meeting the needs of the people, which sounds kind of asinine that, that I would even point that out, but so many groups aren't, aren't built like that. You know, they're they're built within this academic model box, and then you either fit it or you don't. And tell another box is built to fit your needs instead of really having the ability to ebb and flow within the needs of the community. And um, I know that you are... Um, I know that you are also involved with the memory cafes out in out in Pennsylvania where you live. Um, what is your philosophy out there with those?
2: Well, to be honest with you, I'm not that involved anymore. I'm pretty much turning that over to the association, the Alzheimer's Association, mm-hmm. to handle that. Uh, but you know, my theory on the memory cafes is that they should be able to do whatever they want, and the people who are a part of the Memory Cafe will decide what they will do, you know, whether it's going to be a support group, whether it's just going to be a place for to socialize or a combination of all these things, you know, uh, and it can change as the group changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I'm not one to say this is how it has to be. Uh, I believe it's up to the people who are a part of it to really make it what it's going to be.
1: I agree. Um you know I would love to be able to play a part of your um speech but it's too large to to put into our system here so I'm hoping when um and I'm switching gears a little bit here but um I we just got some some questions about you know could we could we play uh, play some of michael 's speech? there will be a link with Napa um, probably won 't be a couple of weeks, you think before it 's up, and then I will push that out through the blog so people can hear it in its entirety because it's you and Sherry did an absolutely marvelous marvelous job um, with that, and I think it's very important for you guys to. To be heard um, because you made some critical points and and they were heartfelt I mean I, I you know when I heard sherry talk, my heart was just breaking i I know that that was very difficult um, for both of you to say what you said, and um, you know it's but it's important to be heard um, we've got some other comments here um, with the conversation just talking about. Um, you know we need to separate out from the system of the big pharma and the governmental agencies um and then we'll find things that work understanding the big picture of complexity of the condition um and the trial and error approach you know where there really isn't a failure but you know it's it's better to try than to do nothing and i think i think that's one of the big mistakes that Um, government and um, some of our larger associations is making is they're so afraid of failure and um, you know that's how you learn how things work you know and if you're if you go in with it with flexibility knowing it's not going to be perfect and it needs tweaking to begin with everything needs to be tweaked and it should continuously be tweaked so that you're meeting the people's needs. To me, in my eyes, and, and this is my eyes only, you can't fail. You know, because you're you're at least trying uh to do something there. So it's very, very um important stuff. Michael, I'm gonna put you on hold here if you don't mind. I've got another caller on the line I'd like to pull in though. Can you stay with us? Sure. Okay, great, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and pull in. We've got a caller from a six seven eight number. Six seven eight. You're live and on the air. If you'd like to
3: state your name, it's Pam Venon. I'm. Who is this? This is Pam. How are you?
1: Oh, oh, hi, Pam. How are you doing? How are you doing? Well, I'm good. Welcome, thanks. Welcome to
3: the show. Why don't you tell people who you are and what you'd like to talk about today? Well, I won't take very much of your time, but my name is Pam Benon. I'm the executive director of a nonprofit located in Atlanta, Georgia. The name of our nonprofit is Caring Together in Hope. And over the weekend, we just celebrated the Family caregiver at a music festival in Marietta, Georgia, called the Alzheimer's Music Fest. And thank you so much, Lori. For attending and for being a part of that Um, just good stuff happened that day for me personally I think it um, was especially nice to step outside that virtual box and make personal connections it's always a good thing to um, have new introductions and to make new friendships and it, it was a good day and I think that since we're on the topic of Alzheimer's dementia I think the way that I can sum up in just a quote, I don't even recall whose quote this is, certainly it's not mine, but gratitude, the memory of the heart. And so it is with tremendous gratitude for those who attended the festival, those who sponsored the festival, of which you were, you were a sponsor, and your presence, um, along with everybody else who was there, it was certainly very gratifying for me and for Vince Zangaro, who is uh, Uh, founder of the alzheimer's
1: music fest what was really it was a fun time it ran from what noon to 10 o'clock 30 i think it was 30 different bands um great auction um had a silent auction then they had a live painter um what was her name heather wilkerson i think who painted to music who was just in, an incredible artist, just an incredible artist. And one of our um, friends, Ron Gregory, with the Alzheimer's Music Connect was down there, and he bought a, actually, I think, two of her paintings. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was fun when I was down there to be able to meet with, with he and, and uh, Robin, who was uh, Teepa Snow's um, one of her representatives and stuff so yeah it was it was a very very fun fun um, time to be down there I had never been down I'd never been to Georgia before period and um, then to be in you know to have the Alzheimer's Music Fest in Marietta where a girlfriend of mine lives who I haven't seen in five years so I was able to visit with her too so it was really it was like so perfect for me all of the things that happened it was almost like the perfect storm uh, you know, for me to be able to get some business and have some fun at the same time and, and even your weather cooperated. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. Everyone said, Oh, it's gonna be so hot and humid and, and really it was nice. Uh, the bands were playing both inside and outside at the music fest. Um and so it was really the the one twenty tavern is really a light, nice large um Facility to host that in, so it worked out really, really well. And you seem to have had a nice turnout and and things. Do you, are you in the works already to to plan for next year? Or?
3: You know, I just said this week I was just going to take that music. i was going to take a break from that a little bit. Um, I'm not in the works. Of course, Vince Guerra is already in the works with this, and um, I think that you know we just have to take some time to to reflect and look back. Of course, there's always a way that we would like to improve that. But we did raise almost $15,000 that day, and certainly wow. those funds, those funds will be used um, in the caring together and help respite care program. So we will be able to help or assist a lot of families with a multitude of things, of which one is respite care, which is what not what we are entirely about as a nonprofit, but it is our mission to support those caregivers who. Financially, cannot afford to take a break, and I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. You know, we guess we know all the statistics, and but I think it it bears mentioning again that we do need to remember that there are 15 and a half million caregivers um, in this country providing almost 18 billion hours of unpaid care to to this entity. And for me, I look at this festival as a reason of that particular family caregiver yes we always want to raise awareness and and yes we want to educate the public but mostly this particular festival our mission was to just celebrate this caregiver and in that respect definitely I feel that we accomplished that mission and then of course we raised some money as well yeah yeah well that's
1: fantastic that was uh like I said it was a very fun day I don't know how uh vince did i know he said he was there like starting at six in the morning i don't know what time you got there i I got there about 11 but long day but um definitely definitely worth it and and vince's dad has dementia and he had just gotten out of the hospital i think what was it the night before and um so he really he really had his hands full pulling everything together Uh but um, and the the musicians were incredible. I mean, it was uh, the I can't remember the one woman's name, but she sounded like Janis Joplin. And I mean, it was a nice, Marie, bari- really. yeah, a nice
3: variety. Yeah, nice variety. And I think I think the other thing it was a diverse mix of music. I think the other thing too is just in speaking with some of these members of the bands who donate their time, and they're you know they're they're, they're part of the starving artist syndrome. You know, these are local bands, fairly well known in Atlanta perhaps not known outside Atlanta. However, most every member of that band um, has been impacted or touched by Alzheimer's disease. And so for them to donate that hour of their day not to be paid to the public and to help us celebrate this um, family caregiver was heartfelt for them as well, and that, wow. that just that just makes it even better I mean, it's just it' was just it's a very good event it's, it's, it's uh, community support, and it's kind of going back to you know what we used to do so many years ago before the internet, where we'd have just communities getting together and collaborating and trying to figure out how it is that we can help somebody in our community out, and many people throughout the country. All areas of the country and the world continue to do this. We were just fortunate in that we were able to have this at a place. We got some pretty good press exposure. And now with the Internet, it's very easy to expose what your goal is when you have a fundraiser like this. But for me, it's just taking it back to how we used to do it, where we're just getting together with down the street and people who are just like us and have the same passion or have a curiosity about about who it is that we were supporting on a particular day. So it was it was really it was a good day. It really
1: was. It was a very good day. It was a very good day. You guys did a did a great job and I think music is just so important because it connects with everybody, you know, on so many different levels and um you know, I loved when Vince was singing because he was talking, you know, he told us where his songs came from that he wrote and um and that was very touching too. So, um, kudos to, to everybody who was involved um in that day. I was uh you know, for me it was just lovely to meet so many great people down in Georgia and I'm gonna have to maneuver myself back there again, I think, very soon.
3: <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. I do oh, okay. need to get well, to work, but I did want to I would just um wanna thank you and again um for attending and for helping us to promote this this event.
1: Thanks. Well, great. Thank you. Have a have a wonderful week, Pam. Bye, now. Okay. So, Michael, I'm going to go ahead and pull you back into the conversation. Um, you know, this this music fest was really. It was a. I can't imagine the amount of work it was to pull together, but it was really an incredible day. And to think of 30 bands, you know, um, all donating their time, you know, showed up with with no problem whatsoever, and the variety of music and the people that came in. It was pretty cool to watch and uh, and to see that that happen. Um, what are your thoughts on something like that?
2: Well, that sounds really interesting. Uh, I'm glad to hear something like that was uh, put together. I, I think you know the, the project that I'm already working on, Laurie, uh, and I've been working on it for some time now. I call it the World Dementia Concert, uh, and I'm actually trying to pull together people from all over the world to come together to create you know, multiple concerts and then uh, one huge concert to work together, similar to what they did for We Are the World uh, by, that was put together by Harry Belafonte and uh, Michael Jackson. And uh, in fact, just uh, this past weekend, I've pulled some people together who are now uh, – in the orchestra business because, you know, uh, I think you've seen my list that I created of who are the bands that I was trying to pull together, but somebody reached out to me and said, well, why aren't you getting the, you know, orchestras involved? And I never even thought about it. So I got a couple of people who are helping me pull that together, but I got to tell you, it's a, uh, a, a tough road to try to pull something like this together, especially uh, for somebody like me who's, you know, not not in the famous arena, you know, because most of these people, they're hard to get to, but I got a lot of people starting to come to help me, and uh, it, it feels like I'm on a, a, a steep road with a lot of grease on it, but uh-huh. ho- hopefully we'll get some traction soon.
1: Yeah, wouldn't that be um wouldn't that be sweet? Cuz what a great great concept. Um I'd love to hear what our what our audience has to say on that if you want to use the chat box. Um do you think having a a, a world con- concert like Mark Michael was talking about would would work? I I think it would be absolutely fantastic. Um you know, you've looked at all the things that Bon Jovi has done and, and all the others in terms of pulling these you know, things together for the tsunami and, you know, all the different disasters. Well, you know, hello, dementia is a disaster. Um, It's just in a different form. You know, you can call it an epidemic. You can call it all different types of things. Um, Terry is saying, uh, get in touch with me. A friend of mine does band management and does causes and may be able to work with that. So, okay, I I will hook you guys up. That would be that would be wonderful. Thank you, Terry. Um that would be absolutely great um to, you know, if we could get this pulled together uh further in any in any type of fashion. Um that would be that would be magnificent. Um and it wouldn't be something needless to say that could happen quickly. Um I'm sure this is something that's going to take a lot of a lot of time and energy, but, uh, you know, to me, I think it's just long overdue, and I don't quite know why no one has thought of it. Um, I, I just don't understand, uh, I, I, I don't understand how people aren't seeing the need so clearly, um, and maybe it's just because I've lived in it now over half of my life, and even though my mom has passed, this, this has become my world um, you know, to make a difference and to stay connected um, you know, with this. So yeah, very interesting. If anybody has any any um ideas, you know, please get a hold of of Michael uh Ellen Bogan. Um Michael, I'm just shooting you an email actually while we're on the air here with Terry's uh name. Uh you can reach her through through Facebook. Um, will probably be the easiest connection there. So wonderful. Anything else on your agenda that um, that you wanted to talk about? Anything more you wanted to maybe share about Napa or any of the other? You're you're involved in so many ventures. I I don't know how you even keep up. To be honest with you. <laughs> Lori, tell you the truth,
2: I don't know myself, and people keep saying, "You sure you have Alzheimer's?" And I'll (laughs) tell you, if they only knew how many things I keep dropping every day. But you know, hey, it's the things that, uh, you know, I remember to do that uh, hopefully will one day uh, make a difference and an impact to help so many. You know, because that's uh, my goal, and uh, I'm not sure. You know, like with this music thing. I mean, you know, if people uh, who are your listeners want to get in touch with me, they can get to me through uh, my website, Michael Allen Bogan Movement, and through that they can reach out to me through the contact, and I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody who has uh, uh, connections to somebody in the music world because, uh, you know, I believe working together is the only way we're going to be able to do this, you know, instead of working it within our silos uh, but there is one thing if, if I could mention that I, I'm really excited about, believe it or not as you know, I've been working on my book now for Years and years trying to get this thing, and I never thought I'd get it done, but I finally, I think within the next couple of days, my hard, not a hardback, but the softback will actually be available. Uh, we, we've had so much problems trying to get get it to this point, so I think in another couple of days I will actually have a softback available because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like, you know, being able to uh, look at it online or to be able to uh, uh, get the Kindle version, so this will make it a lot easier for a lot of people
1: oh good good well that's that's fantastic And for those of you that haven't read um, Michael's book, there is a fabulous review in fact, I'll go to my blog and and find this review that was done by a colleague of ours, uh Elon Caspi, who specializes in um behaviors he's a gerontologist um, very renowned in his field and he just did an incredible review. I've never seen a book review in such detail and he really points out why and, you know, which chapters people should read for for which things. I mean, it was uh it was incredible. It was uh he really really it was fantastic and it made you just kind of go, "Wow. You know, this this is important stuff here." um you know and
0: it needs to be
1: acknowledged and and it needs to be it needs to be spread people need to understand um and really take you know your your work seriously in terms of what you've done so um and michael what's the name of the book again now i i, I don't want to misspeak on that
2: i think it's from the corner office to alzheimers
1: okay that's what I was thinking it was, but I wasn't quite sure. So I thought oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask on that one, and I'm trying to find the link to that, uh, to that blog. But I have several different things um, on here with you, so and with Elon. So <laughs> I'm getting a lot uh pumped up here on this. Uh, I'm just going to check the chat box again and see if there are any other thoughts um that people want or want to talk about. Um has and I'm going to push out there has anybody read Michael's Michael's book and any thoughts on it? Um it's a fantastic book. Um lots of great information. And it's you're, now you're also trying to raise some funds and some uh, you know so that you can continue your awareness. Do you want to talk about that as well, Michael?
2: Sure, I uh, appreciate that. Uh, basically, you know, I've been doing this now for five years, and uh, everything I've done, you know, people just love what I'm doing, but what they don't realize is all this has been on my own expenses. Uh, you know, nobody's been really supporting me for these things. You know, I have go to all these conferences and speak and uh, uh, been going to NAPA. And, I mean, every time I go to NAPA, believe it or not, it costs me like 700 $800. Uh, mm-hmm. So all these expenses, you know, are actually taking a toll on me, and I no longer can really do it. And uh, what I've done is I've created one of these fundraising sites, and I'm hoping that people will be able to help me to continue and to raise some funds so I can continue to be able to do this because what I'm doing is not for, really for me but it's really for all the people who uh, have dementia and uh, you know and the, those who are going to be impacted in the future for it. So my goal is to hopefully make an impact and a difference and uh, you know I'm hoping this is going to work. Uh, you know I I will tell you I'm a little disappointed so far on what I've gotten but. I, I'm keeping my head up because uh, there was one guy out there who, believe it or not, he, he did it as a joke. He was only asking for ten dollars for some kind of potato salad, and he ended up with sixty-five thousand dollars, Lori. So I'm thinking, if somebody who was doing for something as a joke was able to get that kind of money, hopefully, you know, people will see the goodness of what i'm trying to do and hopefully uh... be able to help me out and uh... they can reach out to me through my website uh... there's a link on there that uh... will take them to the crowdfunding site and i think if i remember correctly you had it on your site somewhere too
1: did just put um, uh... in the chat box a link to the review and um... uh... that that elon did and if you want to just look at the uh, look at the site it says life with dementia why why it's so important for us to listen um, to those diagnosed and it talks about um, the book and then it has Elon's um, review on there and then there's also a link um, to to your website um, to the video kind of the the webinar that the two of us did so people could hear why it's so important to to be able to give voice to the voiceless because that's kind of how you see see yourself in terms of, of helping those that can't speak, um, those that have passed and those that will be coming down the line and um, so all of that information is there at that link. All you have to do is click on the different things but um, yeah, very, very powerful book. You've got a very powerful voice. You're, um, you know, articulate. And I, I know that sometimes that gets frustrating because, like you said, sometimes people think that you, well, you can't have Alzheimer's. You, you can't have dementia. You know, you, you sound too good. And they, they don't understand <laughs> it runs a lot deeper than just a voice. Um and, and people don't know what it takes for you to write your speech and I didn't either until we were working on uh you know, one of the platforms and you showed me even how you had to space things um in order for it to flow for you, which to the rest of us it was it would be very confusing. Um but that's how you're able to do what you do. You know, you've you've figured out workarounds, you haven't given up. And, um, you know, I really applaud you for that um, and, and all the others out there with dementia who are, who are sharing what it really is like, um, you know, until and, and people really start understanding um, what it's really like, we're, we're not going to be able to make a big difference. You know, we can't just scare people, but we, we have to give them hope, too. There's none of our lives are perfect. You know, unless you've, you know, entered the the Stepford Wives community or something. But, um, you know, so we shouldn't be ashamed that our lives aren't perfect. Um, we just have to learn to, to rework things. And and I think that's what you've done very well. I think that's what Harry and Rick have done and, and so many others. Um, You know, Richard Taylor, um, you know, you guys are just out there in the thick, thick of things. Sandy, um, you know, just comes to mind. And there's so, so many more people living with dementia that aren't giving up on life. Um, You know, and the dementia mentors, you know, created um you know for people with dementia to to be able to mentor and help those stepping into this space live well i mean what a brilliant brilliant concept um you know and you kind of to me i kind of smack myself on the head and go what took this so long you know but again it, it came from a grassroots um, you know, endeavor, people actually living with the disease. It wasn't launched by um an association or an organization that, you know, we all think is, is out to help. And they are, don't get me wrong. Um, but these new creative ways, um, you know, I, I really wish the the larger associations and, and those with the funding, I, I wish they would step up and do some collaborating With the creative side of the world Um, because it seems to be that creative side that's really reaching out and touching and and gaining momentum. Um, And I don't know if you agree with that comment or not, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Michael.
2: No, no, I agree with everything you said. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of things I do, Lori, that you mentioned that. You know, I can't take credit for them all. You know, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, I, I, I got to give thanks to the person who helps edits all the work that I do. Uh, her, her name is Emma Steele. She's actually out of the U.K. I mean, if you would see, you know, where I started writing years ago and how my writing is today, it's atrocious anymore. Uh, and it, It's <laughs> terrible. But that's what people would need to understand, that we're still capable of doing things. We just need to get some help from other people. So we can still try to function in the daily living. You know you know mm-hmm. we we all have our own little difficulties and I think there's people out there that can help us through those difficulties.
1: Yep. And 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 so many people are just you know, I mean they 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 want to be able to help. They want to be able to to make a difference in the world and so, you know, part of it is just the simplicity of connecting. You know, to one another, um, and and you know that should be we we should make that an easier process as well. Um, you know, it, we we've got to and social media has helped so much. I mean, because I'm I don't know, did you know the person in in the UK prior, or, or did um, you meet them actually? Somebody
2: helped media? getting actually somebody helped get it out there on social media because I'm not too good. You know, it, it's funny. You know, uh, I'm on facebook and i'm all these things i don't even understand them anymore i really don't laurie and uh... so many people think i do but it to me it's so confusing and here i was an it guy and uh... but you know i still try to stay engaged as best as i can with these things even though i i know i'm doing a lousy job at it today but what, what can you do you know you you know you do the best that you can and that's what anybody should do you know it, they shouldn't let the disability stand in their way and uh... I have to tell you, people have been so kind and nice. I mean, you know, when I look at some of these emails that I share with people and how terrible my writing is anymore, it's amazing. They're all so nice. It's They, they mm-hmm. don't treat you like you have a disability, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and... I don't, well, people's writing has changed so much, anyways. I mean, it's almost like a new language out there with all the abbreviations, and you know. Um, and, and I know myself; I've fallen into it where I'm writing, and I forget I, I don't put in the periods because I'm so used to doing the social media stuff sometimes and i have to go back and go okay this is really a formal letter <laughs> i can't put a u for you i have to spell it out you know and but it's just uh it's kind of funny how much things have changed and um but you know people should be gracious um you know no matter what um it it's it, you know our communication is so much deeper than than just our words and sometimes people focus so deeply on the words or the grammar and um you know they're missing the whole point of the communication. Um because again the they're in
0: they're in they're in a box
1: and you know, in my my line of thinking and some of you may disagree with me and, and feel free to pipe up. Um you know, if you do, that's what the show's about is is having a Respectful conversation, but you know, I, I think it's time to get rid of the boxes because the boxes make us judge right from wrong, and there is so little in the world that is truly right or wrong. But, you know, we live really in a world of gray because everybody's coming um, at things from different angles and different perspectives, and and um, you know. I, it saddens me that we we teach a right or wrong society um and again not that we don't need some lines drawn in the sand but we we're missing out on one of the most critical aspects i think which is respect and dignity um in terms of how we treat people and you can have a disagreement without having an argument you know you can have a conversation um, but we get so stubborn um, sometimes that, you know, it turns into literally a war um, because we just don't know how to be respectful of other people's beliefs or needs um, or situations. And in most of the time, it seems like it's driven by fear of something. And so, again, you know, I'm just about let's let's remove the fear and let's replace it with hope and um and move forward, and not that there's not going to be some scary times, because Lord knows there's going to be um but let's let's focus on hope that we can make things better we We all have the power to make a difference, and um you know if, especially if we join together so much so much that we can we can do so um anything else that you want to share with our with our audience today, Michael? Uh not at this time Lori. In fact
2: I gotta get going sure for another meeting. <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for taking so much time with us today. I I always appreciate that. And as soon as NAPA gets that link up, please let me know, and then we'll go ahead and be able to push out that audio. I'll I'll see if I can do some playing, but I, I just think it's going to be too large, um, unless I can find a way to store it someplace that I don't know where I can store it yet to link to. Um because it is a very, very powerful video um, or uh, audio that you and and Sherry did in your speeches to NAPA. So, again, I I thank you very much for that. So you have a great week, and we will catch up with you later, okay?
2: You too, and thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day now.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Before I uh, get in and introduce our, our guest today, who I'm so excited to have with us. Um I do want to uh, do a couple of shout outs um and some highlights here. I just got an email um this morning and I'm So excited for my friends at the University of Minnesota uh, School of Nursing and the Lutheran Home Association of Belle Plains, who I've done a lot of work for um, as well, just received a $1.2 million grant um, in partnership, and it came from the Department of Health and Human Services Agencies for Health Research and quality, and they are going to be um, looking at the impact of health monitoring technology and you know, how it relates to a person with Alzheimer's and dementia as well as their family caregivers and this is a a five-year research grant. They're working with a colleague of mine, Dr. Joe Gogler at the University of um, Minnesota School of Nursing um, who I'm on his board with and then the Lutheran Home Association. So kudos guys, that's very, very exciting, exciting news. Um, I also wanted to uh, mention that if you didn't listen to last week's show, I had Dr. Uh, Stephen Hogan, and he's written a book um, about his caring for his mother, and he has some sons' rules. And that was a nice conversation. We also had open mic uh, for an hour of that program too, which was interesting. Next week, we are hoping to have on. Um, the director of a uh, film being made in India on dementia, and it's called Life Flows On. We're also going to be having an author, uh, Anne Campanella, on, um, and her book is called Motherhood Lost and Found, where she's going to talk about stories of her her mother's descent into Alzheimer's, and at the same time she was longing to become a mother herself and what that was like our last dementia chats was July 22nd. That is recorded, and you can go ahead and um, watch that anytime. We discussed um, how someone with dementia engages in activities, the risk of a person being independent, um, and um, you know, sometimes people pull back because they're they're worried about the risk and yet the value of feeling purposeful. Um, so we had a really, really good conversation on that. We also talked about supplements and herbs and drug regulations. Um, so um, always fun. August 12th will be our next Dementia Chats. Uh, again, open discussion. Anyone is available. Our experts are those with dementia. And, uh, you know, our audience, our people that have dementia, family caregivers, as well as business professionals and those just wanting to learn more. So again, anyone is welcome. You can find out more on how to link by just going to alzheimerspeaks.com. Then go to our About page and there you'll you'll see a tab for Dementia Chats. On our blog, there was a great article that was done by the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention uh, Foundation. It was on why we need to master Stress. We've gotten some uh, great comments uh, in various modes. You don't see them all on the blog because things get pushed out in so many different elements. Uh, Our intern Michelle wrote a fun. Piece on the Minnesota Twins, Peanuts, and Memories. She uh, she is a student. She's actually going to, uh, applying for grad school now, and she talks a lot about her grandpa and the lessons that have learned. And she's just an extraordinary, extraordinary young person with a passion to make a difference. She's actually opened up a memory cafe down in Northfield, Minnesota, and I'm just honored to have her be an intern uh, with Alzheimer's Speed. There was also a student uh, from Washington University who needs your help. He is um, doing a a project for dementia again, another grad student. Um, So on uh, July 27th, there's an article on the blog that just says, student needs your help for a dementia project. Uh, See how you you can help through a survey there. Um, information if you wanted to know about the the Music Fest, Alzheimer's Music Fest in Georgia that was just this last week. Norms wrote a beautiful piece of prose called 30 Seconds Away Day. Um, Pretty powerful piece, as usual, with Norms. There's a new video that was listed, Insights to Caring Well for Those with Dementia. Um, that actually featured myself. It was done by Silver Sphere, who is a large technology company, um, helping, uh, assisted livings and nursing homes. They're also in the process of launching a home, some home care technology as well. That's Silver Sphere. Uh, I posted a video from the Alzheimer's uh, Society. And it's about how small changes can help make a community dementia-friendly. There is also uh, one on life with dementia, why it's so important for us to listen um, and then what else do we have? Oh, there was a call for nominations for Dementia Care Professional of the Year. If you know of somebody that you would like to, um, like to nominate for that, um, that was posted July 24th. Again, just go to our blog or Google Call for Nominations, um, and you can get more information on that. And let's see, Sixty and Me, we also have a video from them on Alzheimer's prevention and treatment. What can we really do? So lots of good things, lots and lots of good things uh, available on the blog. And, again, we we uh, would love for you to push any of that information out. That would be wonderful. Um I am going to give one last shout out um, mid-program wise and we'll pull in our our guest today, Gary Glazner, who I'm so excited to have back with us. Again, for those of you who are not familiar with the Purple Angel Project, you may want to check that out. Again, you can get to that on the about page. The Purple Angel is the new global symbol for dementia. If you're looking for an Alzheimer's association anywhere in the world, uh, please check out Alzheimer's disease international Uh, there you can hook up with the association closest to you but more than that you're going to get global insights and uh, the reports that they have done you'll learn about the G8 summits and so forth uh, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, they have their four pillars of prevention plan. They just do a phenomenal job. And then there is the Lewy Body Association, Frontal Temporal Lobe Association, and National Aphasia, which really targets specific symptoms of dementia. Don't forget about Music First with Choral Health. They have your prescription for music
3: as well as
1: Puzzle With Me and and Jiminy Wicket, which is a fantastic uh, croquet game uh, that's intergenerational and can just be a lot, a lot of fun to play. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest here today. Uh, Gary Glazner is the founder and executive director of the Alzheimer's Poetry Project, known as APP. And he, the APP was actually the recipient of the 2013 um, Rosalind Gilbert's uh, Innovations in Alzheimer's Disease Caregiving Legacy Award. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? The project was also awarded the 2012 MetLife Foundation Creativity and Aging in American Leadership Award in the uh, category of community engagement. PBS News, our um, uh, NBC and the Today Show and NPR's All Things Considered have also featured segments of Gary's work. Um, He is just an incredible, incredible um, man. I was lucky enough to meet him. I want to say it was last winter Um, in January. I want to say it was uh, at the uh, uh, Institute of Arts in uh, in Minneapolis. He just recently published a new book um, called Dementia Arts Celebrating Creativity in Elder Care, which was published by Health Professional Press. So welcome, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm I'm so excited for you with your book. How fun is this?
4: Yeah, it's it's exciting to have a new book out, and uh, it was a lot of work, you know, uh, but uh, a good process to go through, and I'm very excited that it's finished, and now I can talk about it instead of working on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes quite a bit of difference. I saw you for the first time. Um, I want to say it was, was it just this last winter? It seems like it was longer ago than that, but maybe... But maybe it was. I know it was winter because it was. There was snow on. I thought there was snow on the ground. Anyways, um, yeah, it was last last December. Okay, that's what it was. I, okay, I was thinking it was January. Okay, so December. Yeah, and it was just so much fun to see you work. Um, you are quite the silly little man, um, engaging and um, just having so much fun with your audience. And you just. You know, as an audience member, you know, to watch people just light up was such a treat, um, and to see you take somebody who's, you know, pretty nonverbal and half asleep, and you know, get them laughing and their eyes lighting up and and talking was was really something, something special to to be able to see. So kudos to you for for all of your work. Why
4: don't you tell us well, a little bit? Well, it it ha- it, uh, it helped a lot to have uh, Jane Tegeson, who who leads the Discover Your Story project at the museum, had brought her grandmother's hat made out of pheasant feathers. Yeah, and so that helped that helped a lot to connect with the audience because we had these all all of us uh, uh, Zoe uh, Bird and uh, and Rachel that are the teaching artists in uh, Minneapolis for the. Alzheimer's Poetry Project. We all were wearing these great hats that Jane's grandmother had made, and they're just so gorgeous. These these old-fashioned, funny hats uh, made of pheasant feathers. And I think the people that came into the museum that day were surprised to see a group of pheasant feather-wearing hat greeters
1: at the door. <laughs> yeah it wasn't something that you see every day that's that's for sure, so it was very um it was very fun to be to be part of it gary um can you tell people before we kind of get uh down our line of questions you know have you been personally touched with family or friends that have had dementia? It's always interesting for people to just to kind of know your background a little bit well,
4: um my experience in being a caregiver uh is with both my mother and father and with my mother um, she had um, uh, cancer of and it had spread to her brain so she had tumors that were causing uh, dementia-like behavior and so that was uh, 97 and um, was really part of what inspired me to do this work and to to really at this point now make it my life's work. It's uh it's been about ten years uh since creating the Alzheimer's Poetry Project, but that first experience in ninety seven, um when when my mom was in the last stages of cancer was also when I did the first workshop uh with an adult daycare center. And that was just to use poetry with them. I had no Um, you know, real knowledge of Alzheimer's or dementia or living with memory loss, but um, I got a small grant to do a workshop at uh, an adult daycare center in Northern California. And at that same time, my mom had cancer and my dad had called and said, your mom's really agitated, she's really upset, she's asking for cherry ice cream. My mother and father were childhood sweethearts. So they became boyfriend and girlfriend at age uh, age uh, five and six. And <laughs> so, so they. Um, my dad called and said, "Your mom's really upset," and and he never asked for help. You know, he was he was. We didn't even use these words, but he was her caregiver, and mm-hmm. uh, and my my sister in law Alma too. She really really helped out a lot. Um. So he called and said, "Your mom's." little upset, and she wants cherry ice cream. So I went and got the ice cream, and I remember this moment. It was just such a striking feeling. I just was reaching back for the ice cream to get out of the car, and I had all the poetry books with me. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to bring in the poetry books and try them with my mom. She had been experiencing memory loss and, and you know, disorientation around dates and who she was talking to and this type of dementia behavior. And um, so I brought him in, and we ate the ice cream. And, and she uh, and had teased my dad as a boy with Can You Bake a Cherry Pie, Billy Boy. His name was Billy, and her name was Frankie.
1: Uh-huh. And so
4: we started, that was one of the little rhymes that was in the book. And so I started to say, you know, Can You Bake a Cherry Pie? And she started to sing it, and she got real excited and was doing these kind of little motions with her fingers, these little hand motions. And my dad started laughing. And, you know, it was a real moment of joy and happiness in the midst of uh, that hospice uh, time with my mom. And it just reinforced to me the work I was doing at the Adult Day Center could be of use to, in this case, my own mother and in a hospice setting. So that's really my experience with it. And then my dad, um, thankfully, didn't have... Any memory loss or dementia when he passed away—that was a couple of years ago. But I did use poetry with him as well. I did recite mm-hmm. poetry uh, with him towards the end of his life.
1: Wow. So yeah. Okay. So very, very interesting um, with this all in in terms of of how it all works. I didn't. I, I didn't remember your mom having brain cancer. My dad had brain cancer as well. So um understand that that journey well I, I appreciate you sharing that insight with us because it's always interesting kind of for people to know to know background so you know why why did you choose focusing on creativity with people living with um, you know memory loss and their and their care partners what What got you there? I mean um, so it you know, really started with that personal
4: experience you know, now, uh, you know, almost 17 years ago and then 10 years ago starting, fully starting the Outsider's Poetry Project. But I think the reason why um, creativity, I mean, on a personal level, I studied poetry in college and I want poetry to be essential to my life. But on a more universal level, expanding from what I saw with my own mother and my dad of how how it could enhance my experience with them as a caregiver and, you know, in hospice. Um, I think it really... uh, There's so many studies now and so many different art forms that people are using um, with creativity at the center with people with memory loss, and you just see across the board... These things are really successful, and you see it, like you said, you started talking about how I'm kind of a goofy guy, and it was great to see, you know, people sort of warm up and start to smile and laugh. So anecdotally, we see this. We see creativity being very successful, but then now these studies are coming in, um, including like the one that you just mentioned about the, the Lutheran group in Minnesota who will now you know, start to study dementia as well. But there's um, there's just a study that came out this morning in the New York Times. Now, this one is about caregivers for children that have uh, disabilities, development of developmental disabilities. But you could say the same thing that they found in this study for people that are taking care of their parents or even their their, you know, their partner, their husband or wife. What they found was in this study it's called um when when the caregivers need healing it's in today's mm-hmm. New York Times came out of a study of Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. they focused on um on ways that the caregivers could reduce stress, and uh-huh. the ways that they they practiced were um you know uh, things like Meditation, breathing exercises, simple movement things um and and curbing negative thoughts, practicing gratitude these are these are things they're talking about in there, and reclaiming an aspect of the adult life. So what they found was that this greatly re- reduced the level of stress of the caregivers. well, those all are can fall under the the category of creativity, and it shows that you know. We don't just mean when we're talking about creativity, we don't just mean the art forms of poetry, uh, dance, storytelling, music, you know, all of these things that are so successful. And there's such wonderful examples of this with your group from Minnesota of Kairos Alive, the dance group, uh, yep. Time Slips, which comes out of your neighboring state, Wisconsin, with Ann Bastings. Um, mm-hmm songwriting works, which is out of uh, the West Coast, all of these things. And, and of course, the, the most famous, the Meet Me at MoMA program, you know, where people do art visits to um, to uh, museums, which the Minneapolis Institute of Art is part of that SPARK group that's Wisconsin and Minnesota uh, yep. museums. But here it is you know, this this wonderful study that just came out this morning, so, you know, so exciting to talk about it, showing that these ways of thinking about life um, can help to reduce stress. And, you know, these are really simple techniques. So it's around mindfulness, really, is what they're talking about. And when you're doing a poem with someone, that's a form of that. So our yep. major techniques that we use is call and response. Now call and response is really simple and you just say a line of poetry and the group or the or the individual if you're working one-on-one with somebody at the home just repeats the line. Now you can imagine a person living with memory loss that so much is being taken away and you know maybe they don't remember if they just had a glass of juice. In worst case scenarios, perhaps they don't even recognize you as their daughter any longer. But you're sitting with them, and you say, um, you know, my love is like a red, red rose, and they say it back. And suddenly, you're in this other frame of communication around creativity that's not about the sort of autobiographical memories that we often, often think about as memory. Like, Dad, do you remember when we took that trip to Yellowstone, right, that's challenging for a person with memory loss? But when you're doing this type of call and response, which they found um, does reduce stress, there was a study in Germany and Austria in 2004 that showed using call and response lowers the heart rate and lowers the pulse, which are indications that stress is being reduced. And so this type of – and you're breathing, you know, you're taking in air, it's getting getting uh, oxygen to your brain. And it's fun and it's easy to do. And so that's just one one idea of like why do we use creativity at the core of it if you're framing these correctly for the for the person with memory loss they can be successful at it and that's huge and then if you frame it how the caregiver interacts with them using it as a type of communication that's another big way to think about this
1: you know one of the oh i'm sorry go ahead I was gonna no, say one of the things one of the things that you talk about is is creativity. The the other way I guess I like to explain it um and for me how I frame it is this disease allows us to play again. And so through creativity we're learning I mean, you're less judgmental. All that stuff goes out the window. So when all that stuff goes out the window you're you're back having fun, you're with your core essence. And people are truly connecting on a on a real kind of soulful level, and um you know the benefits are so huge, but you know for me, how I framed it with my own mom was she taught me how to play again to learn to communicate differently with her, so I didn't take everything so seriously. Things didn't have to be per- it wasn't about perfection; it was really about having fun and um having a connection and and that took on a lot of different creative forms. So, I, um, you know, I I form it a little bit different in terms of I put the the play first, and the creativity you know um, generates that. Um, and and in your words, you're you know you're using the creativity first, but it really is generating that fun and that it's it's like a playtime. It's just the the whole room gets relaxed. And it's like, well, what's better than that, you know? And and then you've got these huge smiles going on. It's those two things, you know, the the creativity and the the oh, actually three: the creativity, the play, and losing that that stress and and the judgment. Um, it's just it it you know the stress and the judgment is released and just allows us to. It's like the whole room is lighter. I don't know if that makes sense, but that. That was my feeling of experiencing what you do. Um, yeah, and I think
4: I think you're you're right on the money with uh, that. It's about play, you know. That mm-hmm. that's the essence of it. Um, one example would be yesterday um, at uh, New York Memory Center, which is an adult daycare center here in Brooklyn that I do a lot of work at, and we've been experimenting um, with creating movement to the lines of poetry so this is going to be a little bit challenging on the radio but i want to describe what happened yesterday so the first thing we're doing which is really a playful way to get into the poetry is i take the anthology that we use and i start to thumb through it so i'm flipping the pages rapidly and fanning the pages kind of and and when they say when then i I stick my finger down into the book, and whatever poem it hits on is the poem we do. So it's kind of like poetry roulette. And so that's fun. They like that. They like seeing you know, seeing the thing being fanned and all of a sudden. And then it's a little different than me just saying we're going to do this poem, right? So the poem mm-hmm. I hit on yesterday was um, Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. So I recite a line of the poetry. I say the words and then i stop and i ask them how would you show that with your hands or your movement or your arms or your body what would that look like so i say it was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea and and the many and many part i ask them how would you show that with your hands and they and this woman just immediately it was so beautiful she just immediately took her right hand and just patted her heart in rhythm so you can imagine the hand striking the heart to the rhythm of it was many and many a year ago and so that was the first move and that was just beautiful that the the words many were playfully recreated in the repetition of the heart beating and this is all just non-verbally you know that they're they're just showing you to do that. I'm asking for suggestions. So that's what we came up with there. And then um, in a kingdom by the sea, they wanted that to be our hands moving like the waves of the ocean. So you had this heartbeat at first, then going into the gentle waves sort of swelling and cresting. And that was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea. And then the next line there lived a maiden you may know. So the, they made a shape of a house, like a like a above their head of being sheltered by a house. That was this. That was the place where she lived.
0: Mm-hmm. So
4: many and many a year ago in a kingdom by sea, there lived a maiden. So they made a house that she lived in. And then I said, this was the the, the thing was so playful and funny, and people just fell out of their chairs. I said, how do you show the maiden? And they did the universal sign for taking your hands and making women, womanly curves. <laughs> so Very you can imagine the whole, the whole thing is you're, you're tapping your heart. It was many and many a year ago, and then your hands are flowing like the waves of an ocean in a kingdom by the sea. There lived a maiden you may know, and they did a little shelter over their head, and then they did... <laughs> with the uh, the, uh, the hands moving um, to show the womanly curves, and they just thought that. I mean, you could not stop. They they couldn't stop laughing when that came uh-huh. out. And then we would we would repeat that. And then what we did was we alternated reciting lines of that poetry with singing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." So we'd go into, you know, many and many a year ago by a kingdom by the sea, and then we'd go into swing low, sweet, and just real soft. I would start it so they'd hear the, the melody and hear the song, but then I would drop my voice down, and we just sang it really softly. It was so beautiful. And we just alternate back and forth between reciting the poem with really high energy and quite humorous movement. And, lo- mm-hmm. and lovely as well. And then with this just beautiful gospel song, and they just, you know, we just had a ball.
1: <laughs> very fun. Very, very fun. And at,
4: at the core of all of that is play.
1: Right? Uh-huh.
4: Being playful about how do we create a movement together, how do we sing, you know, like, just really a beautiful, soft version of it. And then we would kind of get more gospel as we went along. But that all, as you were saying, the core of all of that is playing. Now, this is a room of about 30 people. And not all people are participating, but a big percentage are, I would say, at least two-thirds. And they are laughing and smiling and totally engaged. And everybody's being successful, and it's all about play.
1: Yep. And and how cool is that? Because, you know, as as we grow older, we're we're taught that life is very serious, and you know, there's things to do, and and especially in this day and age, people are so busy. Their their calendars are packed, and you know, we're we're slaves to our schedules, and this just says cell phones off you know everything's free-flowing and there's just it when people disconnect from that intensity of structure it's just uh, it's just amazing to watch it's just amazing to watch and for me it it took me some time to disengage and to be able to unplug to learn how to play again because it was um, embedded in me as being so important, you know, to stay on top. I had I had lost um, my ability to be um, spontaneous. I could always be fluid in my work life, you know, and I would tackle whatever would happen.
3: But at home,
1: I got back to that structure and I found that I wasn't, is fluid on with my personal connections, and I, and I held more to that taskmaster because you know at work, I still had to get the job done, so I had to figure out a workaround. So it was kind of strange when I kind of analyzed myself and um, just really let go and unplugged and and then, as a caregiver, how how much lighter and better I felt because I wasn't caring with intensity you know it wasn't it wasn't this burden um it was it was really more much, so much more joyful um for me to to be in that position um, so that was a huge, huge gift too. Can you tell tell us, Gary? You know, how can people kind of get creative verbal, you know, with verbal expressions and stuff, and incorporate daily activities? How do they how do they bring that out of you know a, a program that you do? How do they bring that home or to work?
4: Right. Yeah. So I'll give um, one example of. Um, a woman that I work with in uh Madison, Wisconsin. Her name is uh Karen Baru and she has um frontal uh temporal dementia. Okay. And uh, I met her I met her a couple of years ago, uh probably three years now. I was doing a workshop in Madison and um at the Wisconsin uh Dementia Alliance and uh Karen found out about it and she wrote me and she told me her situation and she said that she couldn't, um, make it across town to the workshop. And I said, well, why don't I just come over to your house and you and I can work together? Cause she, she really expressed the, the desire to, to poetry. She was very interested in that. And so I went over, um, to her house. And so this is one of the lessons from, from the, the book from dementia arts, uh, celebrating creativity and elder care, and this is a real simple technique. Um, so what we did was um, we want I wanted to create a poem with her, and this could be this could end in a poem, but it also could just be a discussion too. So um, the book takes the form of all the art inspirations or art lessons are in the form of recipes and the reason why i wanted to use the recipe format was i really wanted the book to be seen as somewhat similar to a cookbook that you you know you pick up you thumb through it and you pick a recipe or some you know maybe a couple for a meal that day and i really wanted people to think of this book that way where they could be nourished by it so in that same way but also um to tie in with i think most people you know, there's this range of ability uh, to be a cook, right, from being able to make toast, you know, to being able to be like a, you know, a four-star chef. And so mm-hmm. but mo- most people see that they can be somewhat creative in the kitchen, even though they not might not be, you know, a famous chef. Um, so I wanted to tie in with that as well. So this recipe is, um, is, is called If a Tree Falls in a Forest. And so each one has the recipe format. So it has the ingredients. So the ingredients that you have for this recipe are something to look at, two curious minds, something to write with, something to write on, and one chunk of uninterrupted time. Could be (laughs) 10 minutes, could be 30 minutes, could even be five. So... And then there's in the instructions. So the instructions say, with this recipe, we look at creating a poem in a one-on-one setting. You're going to choose something to look at and write about. Some examples would be trees, flowers, animals, the sky, clouds, children play. And you're going to ask the person to describe what he or she is seeing. And this this works well if the room has a location with a view. Or in this case with Karen, it was nice, And I asked her what she wanted to write about, and she said trees. And then I said, well, do you have a tree you want to write about? And she said, yeah, that one out in the front yard. So we went outside, and we just looked at the tree, and we started to think about the tree, and I asked her some questions around it, and I wrote down um, what her answers were. And so this is the poem that came out of it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how you could do this with someone in your life. So okay. here's, her, here's her poem by uh, Karen Baru. Her poem is called Trees. So she says, my favorite trees are many. I love our tree out there. I think it's a maple. It smells soft as washed clothes. How high can you go up in a tree, feel the bark? It has texture. It feels heavy. It tastes icky. It looks beautiful. The shape is beautiful a monument, and a statue. I can hear it talking. I always hear trees talking. Hello and welcome. Please do come and sit on me. So that's her poem. And the way we got to it and how you can do this with someone in your life is the first thing uh, I just asked her, uh, does she have a favorite tree? And so her first uh-huh. answer, and so I was writing down what she was saying. So she, she, her first thing was, my favorite trees are many. And mm-hmm. then we talked about, you know, she said that, and then she said, I love the tree out there. She talked about being a maple. And then this is a shift, and this is one of the techniques that you can do that's talked about in the book in ways to create poems or stories or even songs, really. Um, I asked her to explore the tree through her senses. And so I said to her, what does the tree smell like? Now, you've got to imagine, Karen and I are out in her front yard, and talk about tree huggers, I mean, we were, when I asked her what it smelled like, she put her nose right under the bark and took a big, deep breath of the tree, and she looked up and she said, it smells soft as washed clothes. And I just thought, (laughs) man, that is a beautiful, beautiful uh, line. And then we talked a little bit about the bark, you know, and so that's when you get this, uh, you know, that it feels heavy, but it tastes icky. She didn't actually taste the tree, but she imagined that the taste of the bark would not be great. And then we Uh talked a little bit about this, you know, how it felt, and, and she said that the shape is beautiful. And I asked her what the sound of the tree was, and this, again, was this wonderful moment of creativity and playfulness. And she said, that the sound, that that she could hear the tree talking. So that was maybe the wind rustling in the breeze or the branches moving, but she felt that. That was the sound of the tree, that the trees would talk. And I asked her, well, if they're talking, what do they say? And she said, the tree says hello, welcome, and please do come and sit on me. So that's how we got to the poem, Um, and it really was just a lovely afternoon, and this concept of playfulness and attention to mind and listening, listening to each other, um, it really can be a way to step out of most of, you know, like the day-to-day caregiving experience. Like you talked about how you were able to focus and get your work done Mm -hmm. Well, caregivers have to do that. They've got, they have, you know, they have to do cleaning and taking care of the person and making sure the schedules are met and, you know, going to appointments and cooking, all these things. But imagine, this book imagines that for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you step out of that normal routine and you use these recipes to prepare some little creative moment with your loved one. And that's really what this is about. It's not saying, you know, your day, we, we're acknowledging what the day is like. It's hard. There's, there's so much stuff that needs to be accomplished. But this ability to communicate with the loved one outside of that through creativity and through playfulness is what this book is about and what I'm advocating for. Very cool. Very cool. Well,
1: it's a... You know, just the book cover alone just shows the engagement. You're out in the park and, you know, the music's playing and you've got your hands raised and everybody's smiling and having fun. Um, You know, it just just, uh, is very, very engaging. And then the pictures throughout the, the book... Um, I love the one in Chapter 9, two where you've got intergenerational inter, um, programming and you're sitting there laughing with two little kids. Um, can you talk a little bit yeah. about the intergenerational?
4: Yeah, and also, too, I should give a shout-out to uh, the wonderful uh, German photographer, Michael Hagedorn, who um, has a project, um, Confetti in Head. Uh, in Germany that he, he does dementia arts festivals and he, I think he's just a fantastic photographer and he came and spent um, about a week with me in New York and took all these great pictures so the, the the book is mixed with a lot of family photos it tells the story of my mom and dad and, and me being a caregiver but then most of the other photos are, are Michael's and so he's just uh really great at capturing the moment and that's one that you mentioned is with um, a school that's right that's right a half a block away from New York Memory Center so it's a wonderful opportunity Um, it's uh, kindergarten through sixth grade and I work with all the different ages and we bring the kids in we teach them to recite the poems and then we bring them in and work with the the people at New York Memory Center, and we create and perform poems together. And we also kind of march over doing poetry, this concept I have of the Precision Poetry Drill Team. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we march down the street reciting poems, which is gets a lot of strange looks and laughter from people that are going about their day and see us, you know, this group of <laughs> 20 kids reciting poetry as we go, you know, hand in hand on the edge of the sand. We dance by the light of the moon, and we'll spin around and dance and and then keep that going until we get into the center. So the youngest kids I've ever worked with um, are uh, uh, two and a half, and that's with Ace Preschool. That's above New York Memory Center. But you guys have um, a wonderful intergenerational program out in Minnesota called Ebenezer Ridges and mm-hmm. um they have they have a preschool there, and they also have some infants too so uh I worked with them, and uh they're they're a great organization down in uh, burnsville, just a little little outside of uh minneapolis
1: mhm, yeah, there's so many exciting things going on it's it's very very fun. Um, you also have a, a chapter on um, improvisation, and I love the picture with that one. Um, you've got well, you've got a couple of great pictures in that chapter on that one, as well. But I mean, that really is what creativity is uh, is at its core. It's all improv. It's going with the moment and shouting it out, and not worrying um, about what. What someone's going to say, and doing it with a smile, and and it, you do it brilliantly. You do it absolutely brilliantly. Um, in well, thank you. Getting...
4: I I first heard um, about the concept of using improv from uh, Karen Stobby who's um, mm-hmm. out of North Carolina. She does she does a lot of uh, trainings and has worked for years with the uh, the Pioneer Network. But she was the first person I heard lecture, you know, give a workshop on it, and it's this concept. There's a couple concepts that people can think about. One is um, is is the improv technique, which is a very core to improvisation, which is yes and. So, mm-hmm. in in the care in the caregiving world, you know, oftentimes, um, especially at facilities, uh, people will say, you know, I want to go home. And mm-hmm. it can mean just so many different things. You know, it can mean the physical place that they grew up at. It could mean that they're ready to die, you know, when they want to go to heaven. It could yeah. mean, um, you know, a, a sort of um, view of of a place as home. Now, a typical response, you know, might be to, the, to say to them, you are home or, or your home doesn't exist. We sold your home, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the, you know, the reality might be, right? Like, you live here. But mm-hmm. instead of doing that, this yes and concept talks about, you know, that you agree. You don't, it doesn't mm-hmm. become a, a argument or a question of right or wrong. It's that person living in that moment and that reality is they're saying they want to go home. That's a need. And so you're saying yes. And then the and is a redirect. So it's yes and. And then you come up with some idea that compliments maybe what they're saying or, you know, like, yes, and aren't homes lovelier? Isn't it wonderful to be home? So you're you're not negating what the person's saying. You're you're agreeing with them and then you're redirecting a little bit to um you know so that it doesn't become a kind of back and forth um, you know negative loop. Mm-hmm. And so that's one technique and, and it and the book goes into a lot of different improv techniques and the reasoning behind it and all kinds of examples. But the other one which I love, which I learned from um Jenny Smith Pierce, who runs Elder Share the Arts, and it's a it's an improv game called Pass the Smile or Pass the Face. And that's the photo one of the photos you're talking about is um it's really just looking at the person and smiling And then if you've got a group of people, you can do it around a circle. So you can imagine a circle and you turn to your left, smile to that person, and then they turn. And you can do it, you know, with different emotions and, um, you know, can be surprised, which is a lot of fun. It's just a really fun game. I do it a lot uh, at conferences. You know, you always have this sort of awkward thing in a conference where everybody goes out and they kind of know each other, but they don't really know each other. And playing past the smile around a table you know before you're having dinner is just it's so fun, and that's an improv game we use a lot in um in the sessions that we do, and it's just really delightful um and, you know and it can be a sound that you pass or um and again um with people with memory loss, they can be quite successful at this even if they have reduced language ability mm-hmm. and uh um, and it's it's really quite lovely to see, and there's one gentleman at New York Memory Center that's in quite late stage dementia, almost entirely nonverbal um has one of his eyes uh is not you know doesn't doesn't really focus, and he will still play past the smile now it's the tiniest little gentlest smile. You know, he barely barely will register, but I'll look directly into his eye, his good eye, and just uh-huh. smile at him, and, and he'll start smiling back at me. And so it's a really, you know, there's very few ways to connect with him. Sometimes we hold his hand while we recite the poem, but this playing uh-huh. past the smile is a way, even in late-stage dementia, that he there's a real strong physical connection, and and I would even say, uh, you know, a spiritual uh, sort of connection. And playfulness, too. Again, it's so playful to, to play around passing a laugh or a smile or even the, the big, you know, when you're scared, you know, the, mm-hmm. the shock one. That That's even funnier sometimes for people.
1: Well, and it's contagious. You know, it's just contagious. You You set up an environment where, I mean, even if somebody... You know is stubborn and doesn't want to get involved. It's almost impossible not to because it's so comfortable and it just kind of melts across the room you know you can you can literally watch it um you know this this wave kind of take over people and um it's very 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 fun um to see now in the book you talk about i you know memory cafes are big and dear to my heart you talk about creating a memory arts cafe can you explain a little bit about that so that um
4: again is uh you know the concept of putting creativity at the center and so um The Memory Arts Cafe is structured exactly like a memory cafe. What we do with each one, which we hold these monthly in Brooklyn with my partner um, with New York Memory Center. And I've held them around the country as well, too. But we do monthly ones here. So each one has a guest artist. Mm -hmm. And so the socialization part that is kind of the hallmark of most memories are Alzheimer's Cafes. Um, You know, greeting people over, you know, snacks and drinks and stuff we have a guest artist that people get a chance to talk to, you know, so it Mm -hmm. might be maybe it's like a classical uh, pianist and you get a chance to talk with that person. And then um, in our Memory Arts Cafe, I interview the artist. And so I ask a few questions. that kind of gets us to know about the artist, but then we open it up to everybody who's there and everybody gets to talk and ask questions about the artist. And it leads to really wonderful discussions and again, this is um, the same type of thing we do with the um, Alzheimer's Poetry Project, which is to open up the space to talk about, like in the an example with Karen with trees, right? We're really at the core of that. We're just talking about trees, and so yeah. this allows them to, uh, you know, they like we've had a trumpeter talk about how he started, how he how he picked trumpet, and then he gave a demonstration of how to. Do the embouchure and create the first sound. he got people up, and they got to try that and see. You know that it was quite difficult to get a sound out of the trumpet. And mm-hmm. um, dancers, you know, talking about what inspires them. We we recently had an African um, uh, drummer, uh, you know, that talked about why she had actually switched from being a doctor. She left being a doctor. That's now doing drumming, uh, which was an amazing story. Oh wow! Um, so she brings that that whole sensibility and training as a doctor to her work uh, in many different populations, but certainly with people living with memory loss as well. So that's the um, second part is that interview and talking. And then they usually perform something short so you get to see them do something. And then each session, which is the, the, the core of it and the, the highlight, is each session we create something new with the audience. So, it might be with the drummer we all passed out uh she passed out all kinds of percussion instruments and and she got us on a rhythm and then and she taught us a song that we sang with it, and we've had um jazz singers uh we created a a song about uh you know living in brooklyn and um mm-hmm. uh you know so each one has the creation. one of the most beautiful ones was uh the dancer choreographer, Heidi Latsky, who works a lot with uh, disabled people, and she taught us duets. And uh-huh. so she had us pair off, and then we mirrored each other, and then one of the people would shut their eyes, or no, I think it was, yeah, one of the people would shut their eyes and move, and the other person would move with them. And they were they were very, these. we were seated in chairs, so it was mostly upper body and arms. But um, it was just quite beautiful to see people just moving together as, as these uh, couples. And it was, you know, husband and wife and mother and daughter and grandmother and kid, grandkids. And then she put on a, a piece of opera, really lovely, um, and we danced to that. So that was, that was uh, one of my favorite ones. And then um, we sometimes take field trips. So, uh, my favorite one was going to the Coney Island Aquarium and being inspired by jellyfish and so uh-huh. we created created poems and read poems about jellyfish, which led to uh Ola saying the the amazing line was "I wish that fish was on a dish because I'm hungry," mm-hmm. so that was a great a great line and that um, we did that in front of the jellyfish tank, so you can imagine it was this deep, deep blue color with dozens of these jellyfish just floating behind us and so um, we we do that quite a bit as well. Go out in uh, Brooklyn Botanical Garden and we created poems about roses and got to stop and smell the roses and so that 's a memory arts cafe just shifts the focus to always having. A guest artist always creating
1: a new work of art, Mhm, very cool, very cool. Well, I can't believe our hour is just about up here already, <laughs> Gary, it just time just flies talking with you, which is very, very fun. um anything that that you want to cover that we haven't covered? We've got about seven minutes left.
4: I wanted to get one more example of a way to work creatively with your loved one. This one is um, so with the one with Karen, we asked questions around a topic, right? But this mm-hmm. one, this was a this was a more of an oral history, and so this one was um, a gentleman, uh, Jose Mondragon, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was um, we had actually recorded a little commercial of one of the poems that the group created. And it was about animals, and we, I had one of the women was reading it. We used it to promote an event. And Jose came and sat next to us, so I was recording her. And he came and sat down, and he he has a little dog that's his companion, so he was sitting with his dog on his lap and just watching us. And uh, she finished up, and he and I started talking, and he started to tell me this story he had, all of his life had worked in the copper mines in New Mexico, and he told me this story, and I just, I couldn't, the hair the on my neck just started standing up, and I said, Jose, do you mind if I record this? And so, in this technique, it's an oral, taking an oral history, so the person's talking about something that's important to them, I recorded it and then I transcribed the words and shaped them into a poem, just lightly editing it. It's all his words. I didn't add anything or change it. I just made it a little more streamlined. So this is his poem, Copper Mine by José mm-hmm. So He says, The rope was like a rope you would tie a horse with, about as thick as a quarter, to pull you up or down out of the mine. The whole thing came sliding down. I put my hands up against the board. Oh God, that is all I say. They tell me I don't see myself. I was in a little hole about as big as my body, in the mine, in the chute. I held my breath. I passed out. They tell me I don't see myself. A bunch of water, blue, blue copper mining water. It was running all around. Dirt coming down the shaft. The board came down. I was standing to one side, looking up at the top, looking up to my partner. I could see his light. The dirt came down like snow. I stuck my head underneath the board. They put me on a stretcher. They brought me up the shaft. They had only one little cage. It could hold only two men. They put me in the cage, standing straight up on the stretcher. I passed out. They took me to the hospital. They put me in the freezer like I was dead. I said, God help me. They tell me I never saw myself.
1: Wow. So that's,
4: that's his experience of being, being buried in the copper mine and using that oral history technique to create a poem uh, with your loved one could be very powerful. Um, working intergenerationally, you could see a group of students doing this with elders. Uh, that would be an incredibly powerful experience. And so, again, the technique was just he wanted to tell this story, and I recorded it and then transcribed the words, shaped them a little bit to give it, you know, to make it a little shorter than the story that he told.
1: Wow, what a powerful poem! Though, um, very, very visual. You can just feel. Oh, yeah, very neat. What well, you are doing, absolutely brilliant work, and I, uh, I so much uh, honor and appreciate all you're doing um, to make the world a better place. So, thank you, thank well, you, thank so you, much. thanks
4: for having me on the show, and uh, thanks for for uh, your support and all, everything you're doing. Um, I'm going to be out in Minnesota, out in, uh, October. Um, we're going to be holding a training with, uh, the Minnesota chapter of the Alzheimer's poetry project. Uh, we don't have the exact, we don't have the exact dates and stuff, but it'll be probably, uh, you know, the October 6th or 7th. So people can watch out for that on the, uh, Alzheimer's Poetry Project uh, website and they can find out all about the book on uh, Dementia Arts uh, website uh, that's, that's around uh, this new combining of arts.
1: And that's DementiaArts.com and the poetry, yep. the Alzheimer's Poetry Project, you can just Google that as well, Alzheimer's Poetry Project. And your book is um, both on Health Professionals Press and Amazon um as well as i would imagine is that can they purchase it off your site as well dementia arts they can
4: they can buy it from me and i will come to their house and personally deliver it
1: <laughs> no matter where they that's are in not, the world that's not that's not a real
4: <laughs> offer i wish it was but but uh you know uh one of the things we do offer is online training for people and that's been very successful at helping people to implement this, both uh, both family members and healthcare professionals. You can find out all about that on the websites as well.
1: Well, wonderful. Gary, let me know when you're coming to Minnesota. I'm going to actually be going out to Pennsylvania in October. Um, I've got three speaking engagements out there. Um, but I'd be more than glad to push that out on the blog if you do a, a PR piece. You know, for me to to push out, I'd be more than glad to help promote that if if I can do that for you in any way. You're doing fabulous work, and again, I I thank you so much for for all you're doing, and I hope you have a brilliant week. Well, I
4: hate to hear that our planes will cross like planes in the night, but I, I appreciate that, and we'll we'll definitely keep your listeners posted. And thank you again for having me. It's it's uh, a real pleasure.
1: Great. Right. Thanks so much, Gary. We'll talk we'll talk soon, okay?
4: Bye Lori. Bye. Bye everybody
1: i um i want to thank our listeners for the great conversation that we had earlier um i always enjoy our open mic that i might start doing that as a as a platform on a more regular basis uh, we'll see how that goes uh, i do have something scheduled right now where both hours are booked but it seems to be it seems to be a need so um, I think we'll be doing the open mic uh, more regularly. In the meantime, have a absolutely wonderful, brilliant week, and visit alzheimerspeaks.com. If you're looking for uh, specifics on some of the free venues we have, go to the About page. We'll talk to you next week. Bye now.